can turn in your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 6. Amen. Oh, what a glorious chapter this is. We continue our thought from last week. Amen. We were in Romans 7 last week, and uh, you know, it's okay to be in Romans 7 says there in Romans 7, <clears throat> in Romans 7 and 6, it says, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit. Amen. So it's okay to be in Romans 7. It's also okay to be in Romans 7 as long as you're trying to get out <laughs> of Romans 7. Amen. That man, he wasn't content to stay there. So we're looking here at Romans chapter 6. Starting here in verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died. He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. And then here in verse 13 is where we will concentrate. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we do come, Lord, before your throne of grace. Lord, we do look to you, Lord. We ask of you by your Spirit to quicken us, Lord, according to the reality of our inclusion with Christ. In his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Lord, that we might indeed walk in the fullness of the blessing of your gospel to the glory of your name. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been looking as of late at the necessity of heart circumcision, which is in essence a right condition or posture of heart which is absolutely essential 
if one is to experience personally the life-changing power of the grace of God and overcome in the pressure cooker of life. And this morning, I'm going get to you, get your key rings out this morning. Amen. Because Brother Charlie has a golden key of personal revival. You know, in the book of Romans, Paul sets forth the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Romans is about the gospel. And in essence, it is a revelation of the righteousness of God. It's a revelation of the righteousness of God as an awful predicament to the sinner. Praise God. It's a revelation of the righteousness of God as a gracious provision of the Savior. But most people stop there. But it is furthermore a revelation of the righteousness of God as the actual possession of the saints. Yes, sir. His life can live in us through the gospel. But the gospel is is a prohibition to the self-righteous. If you want to stay in yourself, albeit your religious self, if you refuse by faith to get up and out of self and lay hold upon God, then you will be prohibited from fully experiencing the grace and the life. This is what you see in the church. Nice, religious people who just wander around in the wilderness but never lay hold upon Christ by faith. And as long as anyone is content to live in the soulish realm, they are by default being self-righteous and putting confidence in their flesh. And they will never be able to lay hold upon the fullness of Christ. You know, you may have heard about this actor named Jussie Smollett. Amen. He's a, a dark brown sodomite actor who staged a hate crime on himself. And he hired these two guys to come in and beat him up, you know. This guy. <laughs> they said, he said that they put a noose around his neck while they were beating him up. and The guy walks back to his apartment. He keeps the noose around his neck. He even goes up into his apartment. And when the police come, he's still got the noose around his neck because he wanted them to see the noose. He comes back. To, he's still got his Subway sandwich bag in his hand after he's been brutally attacked by these men. Well, I listened to a lawyer who summed up Jesse Smollett brilliantly. And you know what he said? He said, his ego was not his amigo. <laughs> yes, sir. And likewise, our ego, our self, our soul, no matter how cultured, no matter how religiously savvy, is not our amigo either. And it will get us in a if we don't get up and out of it 
and lay hold upon Christ. So in the gospel, we have the remedy, salvation, deliverance. And that is not merely going to heaven, but it is actually becoming a partaker of the life of Christ. And you see how the gospel has been so perverted. America isn't gospel hardened. She's gospel ignorant because the true gospel is hardly ever preached anywhere. The true gospel isn't primarily about getting men to heaven. It's about getting God to earth. It's about preparing for him a habitation that he can live in and manifest himself in. And if you live for that, you'll find yourself in heaven. But that's what the gospel is about. Paul said to those Romans, he said, when I come to you, it's my desire that I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Is that your desire this morning? That's not just for the preacher. It ought to be each of our desire that wherever we go, that we would always go there living presently in the fullness of the blessing of the provision of the gospel of Christ. But Paul tells us there's a condition if one is to personally experience the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. And that is faith. It is the power of God unto salvation, unto deliverance, unto full satisfaction of the heart of man. But it's only for those that believe. Oh, the inferior notion. What is faith? Faith is a surrender without options. Biblical faith is active. Biblical faith, the Bible says, it works by love. It purifies the heart. And it always overcomes the world. And that's because biblical faith gets in the wheelbarrow and it stays in the wheelbarrow. That's what real faith is. Yes, sir. It sets its heart to lay hold upon Christ and it doesn't stop until. It's the eye that sees. It's the hand that lays hold. It's a radical thing and it's anything but passive. In fact, one of the words for faith, it speaks about a crossing over. Those that have true faith, they get up and out of their selves and they lay hold upon the spiritual provision of the gospel and they bring it down into this world. It's like that caterpillar. Oh, he just, most of us, he just eats and eats and eats and then He forms this cocoon. And then he goes through this metamorphosis. But here's the thing. That caterpillar turns into a butterfly in that cocoon. But he must then fight with all of his life to get out of that cocoon that it might fly and soar above this earth. And that's what biblical faith 
Yes, sir. The fight of it's not content to be governed by its soul realm. It's got to get up. It's got to get out. It's got to see and taste of Christ for itself. In fact, faith is to enter into union with God so as to buy live. Believe equals buy live. Two living together as one. And although we must exercise faith, faith is a supernatural gift from God which comes only into the fully surrendered heart. You see, the gospel is a progression from one level of faith to the next level of faith. Always seeing clear, laying more hold upon Christ. But God must grant the gift of faith. We must exercise it, but God must grant it. And it comes when a man is willing to fully surrender. When a man repents, faith comes into that heart. And the more that man will live by faith and choose to act upon the truth of the gospel, the more that faith becomes real in his heart. You know, I can remember the first time that I ever preached the gospel there at the University of Richmond. I didn't have any feelings at all. I just had a word from God. But I chose to act upon that word. And when I stood on that bench that day to preach the gospel, something happened in this heart. As I chose to act by faith, God came down and opened my eyes to see this world like I'd never seen it before. That's what must take place in each of our lives. But it will only take place as you first fully surrender and then choose to act upon the truth that you have. You see, Romans 7 man, did he believe the law was right and good and true? Did he? But did he have faith? You see, you can agree with everything that is taught here at CFF. Yes, sir. Everything in this mind. But still not have biblical faith. Did Romans 7 man have good intentions? You better believe it. Did Romans 7 man feel bad for his sin? Yes, sir. He had those fruits. But he didn't. You see, Romans 7 man was not a regenerate man who was a partaker of grace through faith. And that's because something was amiss in his heart. You see, God has made abundant provision in the gospel. And he has set the table practically before us at CFF. But the reason why some are not going from faith to faith, the reason why some are never transforming from a caterpillar to a butterfly and becoming a spiritual contributor is because there is something amiss 
You see, there was something in the heart of Romans 7 man which prevented him from benefiting from God's provision. In Romans 7 and 5, it says, For when we were in the flesh. That, that tells you where Romans 7 man was. It was a past experience. What did that look like? The motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in his members to bring forth fruit unto death. But then he says in verse 6, but now. This is the present experience of Paul and every true Christian under grace. Now we're delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein? Here's the question. What is that? Most commentators will tell you that is the law. But there's no problem with the law. You know, if the law was the problem, then Romans 7 man would say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this tyrannical and oppressive law? Is that what he says? He says, Who will deliver me from that? This body of sin, the flesh, that is that, and that is the problem. You see, we are the problem. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 and 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. That's the problem. We could also say what homeschooling could not do or what all the preaching and the restraint of CFF cannot do because there is still this entity called the flesh which is alive. And the flesh is in essence a posture of heart which is consecrated to ourselves in any degree. Thus, there must be a full repudiation of self and then a full surrender to live for God's glory. You see, it is faith that releases the intrinsic power of the gospel, but it is repentance or a renouncing of the flesh that allows faith to come into that heart. What you see in the church Many wanting to experience the grace of God. They have good intentions. They desire spiritual liberty. They want to live consistently. They want to truly taste of this so-called satisfaction of Christ. But they are unwilling to fully surrender that and then exercise personal faith so that they can lay hold upon him. And in Romans 6, we have the key. You know when the first command is given in Romans? I mean, hey, it's not, probably a lot of commands in there, huh? You know how many commands are in chapter 1? Zero. Chapter 2? Zero. But you get to chapter 3. Zero. Four zero. Five. The first command is not given until Romans chapter 6. 
where he says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he follows it up with another command. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto You see, for somebody to be a Christian, it is an absolute necessity that they have the ability to yield their members to righteousness. Amen. Their eyes and their hands and their feet and their tongue and all their members. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to have that ability. Roman 7 man didn't have. He wanted to do that, but he said, I can't do that. And the reason why some don't have that ability is because of that. You see, many seek to obey this command and merely yield their members to righteousness. They just, they just think, well, yeah, okay, I understand the truth. I bear witness. I'll just yield my, I'll just stop doing this and start doing that. And they find out that it doesn't work like that. You see, there is something that must happen prior to us being able to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Who saw that? What is that which must happen? Before we can yield our members, we must first yield ourselves. Oh, you got your little key, key ring right here, brother. Golden key right here. Before you can yield your members, Joshua, you must first yield yourself. What did Joshua tell the children of Israel? He says, choose this day who you're going to serve. We're going to serve God, Joshua. You know what he told them? You can't serve God. (laughs) Do you know why they couldn't serve God? Why they couldn't yield their members, servants to righteousness? Because they hadn't yielded their self to God. He said, first, you need to put away your strange gods, which is your self. And then you incline your heart. You circumcise your heart to God. And if you do that, then you can make the choice to yield your member servants to righteousness. I tell you what, I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are. Amen. I believe that by faith. Remember the allegory in Romans 7. Christianity is union with Christ. Is that right? But before that woman, a type of the soul, could be united to Christ 
and then bring forth the fruit of holiness, that old husband, the flesh, had to first be removed. And only when the flesh, that, was removed, only then could she yield herself unto the new husband and bring forth the fruit of holiness. Now, let us be reminded that marriage is a wholehearted commitment to one person. Yes, sir. Also, when a woman marries a man, she's not merely required just to come to the altar and say her vows, and it's a done deal. No, no. She must then intentionally consecrate her mind, will, and her emotions to her new husband that they can truly become one flesh. Do you see that? You see, in marriage, the ceremony, that's just the beginning. It's like the gospel. It makes the relationship lawful, but then it opens the door to the glorious potential of that union of a husband and a wife to take dominion. For God in the kingdom. Now, we've got some new brides here in this church. Amen. Now, hey, there's a, there's a lot that goes into preparing for a wedding. Amen. What all this, hey, they seeking God all their life. They want to trust God and they submit to courtship. And finally a man comes and approaches their father. And oh, then they begin to go through all of that. Whatever you want to call it. Planning this thing. I tell you what. But it's not I do and it's done. That's just the beginning. Yes, sir. That young bride has got a lot of things to learn. Her husband is going to sanctify her. She is going to have to receive his mind and his heart so that they can truly become one flesh. Therefore, she must have a circumcised heart to be sensitive to her husband. Likewise, that's the way Christianity works. Once we're born again, it's not, it's done. That's just the entrance whereby we then must circumcise our heart or yield ourself, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions totally unto God. That's what Christianity is. Yes, sir. But if that bride or that Christian rejects the inward and practical application of truth of the cross by her husband, be it natural or Christ, they will remain limited and dangerous as there remains a place for the devil in that unsurrendered, soulish realm. This right here is where the breakdown usually is. Whether it's in a natural marriage or whether it's in a Christian's life. You see, this, this is the engine room right here. And very few Christians 
are willing to really yield their self to God. And truly, as Brother Britt preached, to come to Him and allow Him to deal with that heart in a way that He can only deal with that heart. No man can do that for you. And this is the difference between the soulish religious person and those that are truly bringing forth fruit and going on from faith to faith. They have a circumcised heart and they have fully yielded their self to the Holy Ghost so that God can deal with that mind and that will and those affections. You see, the Bible says they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. But those that are after the Spirit, those that are, that's what circumcision of heart is. It's a, a, an inclination. It's a propensity. It's a consecration under the things of God. Let's look a little closer at this dynamic. What is it that must be yielded? Ourself, which is our soul. But here's the problem for many. They have this vague and nebulous romantic view of Christianity, just like some wives have a romantic view of marriage. Amen. Hey, Brother Charlie's all for romance. Amen. But hey, Christianity is very practical. Now, let me say this. As Brother Britt preached last week, Christianity is ultimately about coming to him, for him, to know him. That must be the foundation of everything. But there are some practical aspects that facilitate that knowing of him and manifesting him. They are in our practical yielding of ourself, our will, our mind, and our affections. See, Romans 7 man said, I delight in thy law. But the Christian says, I come to do thy will, O God. His heart is consecrated and set to do the will of God. And in essence, his will becomes God's will here in this earth. Yes, sir. You see, the true Christian allows God to conquer them in the will. That's one of the primary purposes of spanking your children. You're trying to break that will. Do you see? That, that's why the restraint, that's why submission to authority is so essential and so revealing because it exposes self-will, which if not dealt with, it will damn your soul. That will must be and then it must be consecrated unto God. You see, this is essential because the practical surrender of the will brings the grace of God into one's life. You want his life? Lose your life. 
The Bible says that, that the, the eye there is, is the heart of the body. I can't remember exactly what Jesus says. And he says, if that eye be single, if that eye, that heart, that will be fixed upon Christ, then only then will you have light or sight or discernment. If you do his will, then you'll know the doctrine. See, the the gospel is not about just some intellectual. Jesus died on the cross, you know, but you you must be quickened. That's what knowing, knowing that our old man is crucified. Paul told those Corinthians who are living in all manner of sin, don't you know? choose to let them define everything. I'm going to put into practice everything that I'm taught to do. I'm not just going to be a hearer. I'm going to be a doer. You see, this is the yielding of ourself to God. I'm going to pray through. I'm not going to waste this prayer meeting. I'm going to lay hold upon God. I'm going to, no matter what it costs me, order my life around the kingdom and the local church. That's a choice of the will. And all those that are blessed in God, they surrendered to his will. The mind. We must yield our minds to God because this is where the battle is fought. And one of the primary weapons of our warfare is taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You're thinking something. Is God telling me this? Is this something God would have me to think on? That Christian, he wants that mind renewed by the word of God. He doesn't want to think his vain thoughts. He knows that they're dangerous. He wants to think God's thoughts after him. We've got to be yielded to him in this way, in this hour. But there are so many distractions. So many things that would frustrate us. Keep our minds stayed upon God. And you hear me. Oh, I'm going to get into this later. The apostles, it says they gave themselves to two things. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Oh, that tells us those are the true great avenues of grace. Prayer and the word. And you hear me. Inspired words of God, supernatural. They are spirit and they are life. But as John said, if you want to be strong, young man, these words must abide in you. 
You see, there's a difference in just knowing what the Bible says and the engrafted word of God that abides and dwells richly within us. You hear me? I tell you, I've just recently just been setting aside some time to memorize Scripture. You may not be gifted in memory. I'm not putting anything on you, but if you can, oh, how powerful it is, especially things in regards to the gospel. I tell you, I've just been hiding in this heart. Romans 6 and 7 and 8. Oh, I tell you, nothing like getting into that shower oh, and starting to quote the Bible to yourself. Oh, not going out in the field and you've got it right there. You see, something happens when you've got it and you begin to quote it with all of your heart under God. It's supernatural. Don't you underestimate the power of that. This is one of the ways that we yield ourselves to God by allowing our minds to become saturated with the Word of God. There's some group out there, their slogan is the mind's a terrible thing to waste. But you know, this generation, we've changed. It's just the mind's a terrible thing. <laughs> you know, because everybody knows if you really want to be on fire for God, you've got to be ignorant. Right? Hey, it's not an either or. It's a both and. And what God wants, yes, sir, you better be anointed. You better be full of the Holy Ghost. And that is the preeminent thing. But what God wants is fools for Christ with their facts on fire with the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. Men that have studied to show themselves approved unto God that have the fire but also If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. See, do you need entertainment? Have you truly tasted? soul-satisfying sweetness of Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you can. But if you want to, you're going to have to choose to yield yourself, your affections unto God. You see, this right here is the key to revival. There's not one of us that cannot experience perpetual personal revival but to do that we must believe the gospel which is to fully repent and then not just to be passive being content to know what we know but from that launching pad then by faith to begin to violently yield ourselves to God our wills, our minds.
You know, I'll close with this illustration. I think it was Ian Murray. He said, man was created by God, body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit of man is likened unto the royal palace that was created for the royal resident of the Holy Ghost. But also in that man was the soul. And the soul is likened unto the music room where the grand piano of human personality sits. The body is just like these speakers here. Yes, sir. That declares to the world what's going on inside of that music room. When God created Adam, the Spirit of God was given by Adam complete control over the music room. Adam had a free will. He could close that door at any time. But Adam opened up that music room to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God sat at the piano of human personality, a type of the soul. And there he had his song, which was the glorious law or word of God. And as the Spirit of God was in control, Adam yielding himself fully to God, the Spirit of God played that personality as he directed the will, instructed the mind, and saturated the affections. And as that took place, the song that came forth out of that body was the song of Jesus Christ, his very life declared to the world. You know what Romans 7 is? Romans 7, it's not, you know, this is what Adam did, he closed the door to that music room. The devil talked him into doing that. He thought he could play that song by himself. And you know what happened? The flesh broke down the door and sat at the piano. and Like Brother Charlie playing the piano this morning. Amen. That'd be just like the flesh. Yes, sir. But you hear me. Not even Brother Micah with all of his piano instruction can play that song of God. That's what Romans 7 is. It's not Antifa and Black Lives Matter and all this trying to play the song. It's cultured apathetic, soulish, religious man who refuses to fully repent and then consecrate himself, mind, will, and emotions unto God. That's what Romans 7 is. Amen. You see, this is the key. Just imagine our minds fully saturated with the Word of God. Our affections completely set on things above. Our will consecrated to do what God has told us to do. Any individual that will yield himself to God in that way will experience personal revival. Let's stand here this morning. Hallelujah. What a gospel. Oh, that God would quicken us. And you know, listen to me. You're not going to be quickened according to this reality 
by merely sitting through a church service. That's the problem with some of you. The most religious thing you do all week is done in here on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Jesus is not a part of our life. He must be our life. And if you really want to be quickened according to the reality of this gospel, then you are going to have to, by faith, yield yourself, your mind, your will, and your affections to God on a day-by-day basis. You see, that's what a circumcised heart is right there. It's a heart that's yielded to God in this way. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your precious word, which is truth. Father, let it have free course in every heart. Father, I pray you would awaken and convict. Lord, I pray that you would grant grace, Father, that we might fully, completely surrender and yield ourselves unto you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take a short break and come back for church.